The things we're about to consider this evening, I'd been a Christian for many years before I had any clue whatsoever as to what these verses said and what these verses were teaching. And probably about 30 years ago, I went through a period of quite a number of years when all of my thinking and understanding about the Bible and the Gospel was all realigned and everything began to make sense. And Gospel truths uh, began to fall into place properly. And I recognised truths that finally explained uh, what much of my own experience had been like. Uh, why it was I'd been through such a long struggle as an unbeliever. And what it was that God actually did to sort me out. And I trust that uh, these, this particular truth that is encapsulated in these verses, if it's something perhaps that you've never grasped, grasped before, uh, that it, it will for you, uh, as it did for me, uh, it will really help uh, to increase your understanding of what it actually is that Jesus came to do, why he came to do it, and why he did it the way he did it. That this is all part and parcel of a, a plan in the purposes and the will of God, which from the very beginning was precisely the way he had purposed it to be, from beginning to end. We're going to think this evening about the grace and righteousness of the one man. Of course, that's Jesus. But that is brought to our attention by contrasting and comparing Jesus with Adam from the Old Testament. What I want to talk about first of all is under this initial heading, what's taught here. Adam's sin is our sin. Adam's sin is our sin. Hold on to your hats because upon this truth hangs the reality of your salvation and mine. When Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, I think most of you know the story. Uh, I use the word story in the sense of a narrative account of a piece of history that really happened, uh, not a piece of fiction. In the story of the Garden of Eden, as Adam and Eve, together as the, the first two uh, human beings created by God, and having been given that really very simple instruction that they could eat of anything in the garden except of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and of how they were tempted by Satan and of how Eve first took of that fruit and ate, and uh, Adam, uh, without really putting up anything of a fight whatsoever, followed in her footsteps and fell into sin, having disobeyed that clear instruction that God had given. <clears throat> when Adam and Eve did that, 
the Bible speaks from that point on largely about the effect that it had through Adam. He, of course, having been placed in that position of headship over the two of them, the one who ultimately God held responsible for all that had taken place. Adam's whole relationship with God changed in an instant at that moment. And Adam knew he hid himself from God. He knew he was guilty. He knew what it was to be ashamed. He was immediately estranged from God. He immediately made himself an enemy of God. His fellowship with God was destroyed. He incurred God's righteous anger. He immediately came under judgment and condemnation because of his sin. He who had been so very near to God was now so very far away. He who had been alive to God had now become dead to God spiritually. And physical deterioration, the ravages of old age, struggles in this world now with death awaiting him when previously none of those things would have been known. And at that very moment, the entire human race, though as yet unborn, entered into his condition and position before God. Right there. Right there in the garden, Adam's sin was your sin. Adam's guilt was your guilt. Adam's condemnation was your condemnation. Verse 12. As through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Right then, right there. The moment you were conceived, you were certain to die. Why? Because of what happened in the garden. The moment you were conceived, you had a sinful nature within you. You were a rebel and an enemy of God. Why? because of what happened right there in the garden. Paul is not saying, guess what, when you come to be born, you too will make the same mistakes as Adam, although you will. And because of your own mistakes, but only because of your mistakes, you will end up where Adam was. You too will be a sinner one day. And you will receive the wages of sin, which is death. Now, there's a sense in which all of that is true, but there's actually something much deeper being said here. Something much more radical, that right there and then in Adam, you became guilty of Adam's sin. And you were brought under God's condemnation. That is why Paul can say in Ephesians chapter 2 that all of us were born as children of wrath 
with God's anger and condemnation hanging over you from the moment of your birth. Look at verse 15. By one man's offence, many died. Because of, because of that one thing that Adam did, people are, are dead in their sins. Look at verse 18. Therefore, as through one man's offence, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Look at verse 19. By one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. That's why in Psalm 51, David confesses that he was a sinner from the moment that he was conceived in his mother's womb. Because David's rooted in Adam. That's why in Psalm 58, David says, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. How can an unborn child be guilty of sin before God? That's an important question to know the answer to, isn't it? How can an unborn child be guilty of sin before God? Because that was David's confession. And if that's true, how can that possibly be right? Because we have to see it from God's perspective. To God, his creation, Adam, is not just a man. Adam is mankind. Adam is the human race. When God created Adam, he wasn't just creating Adam, he was creating all of us. And the fellowship and the communion that Adam was intended to enjoy with God forever, you and I were intended to enjoy with God forever. When it became broken in what we call today the fall, Adam's fall from his sinless state into sin, it became broken for all of us. We all immediately became just like Adam. This is how God views it. And even if you don't like that, even if you're finding it hard to accept, that's still how God views it. That's how you are in Adam. Do you remember the story of David and Goliath? There's the, the champion of the Philistines bellowing out his challenge to the Israelites who are all cowering on the far side of the valley. And then the young boy David comes out to face him. What's the deal going on there between these two? The one is acting as the representative for the entire army. Goliath for the Philistines, David for Israel. And here's what's going on there. Win. And the whole nation wins. Lose. And the whole nation 
loses. If Goliath can win, it's not just Goliath's victory, it's the victory for the entire army in that one man. If Goliath loses, it's not just Goliath's loss. The whole of the Philistines suffer Goliath's loss. Now, that in a lesser sense is what Paul is talking about here with Adam and Christ. There are these two who stand as these representatives amongst mankind. And Adam's loss in the garden was a loss for us all. And everything that happened to Adam as a a result of that loss, it impacted us all, there and then in the garden. We've spoken previously in this series of this wonderful teaching about the imputation of Christ's righteousness in the gospel. A righteousness that you or I could never have, never earn, never work for, never deserve. But this free gift of the imputation of Christ's righteousness to the sinner that God might declare us to be right before him in his sight. But you see, that is God's solution to an earlier imputation that's taken place where the sin of Adam is imputed to us and the condemnation that Adam is under we all come under that's what Paul is teaching here under the inspiration of God's spirit And that's why we must hold so strongly to the Bible's teaching about our total depravity in our sinfulness because that's where it has its origin, you see. That's where it has its basis. That we're all conceived as completely sinful people. We're all conceived and are born as guilty sinners before God. And Paul explains it in verses 13 and 14 like this. Think of those generations that existed between Adam and Moses. They hadn't been given any written law at all by God. They'd been given no instruction like Adam had been given and like Moses would receive at all as to how they should live or what their transgressions might be. How can we find how could God find them guilty? Why should any of them have to die? Well, for one thing, we've already seen in chapters 1 and 2 that all sinners actually are without excuse anyway. Because even today, people who have never heard the Bible, never read the Bible, never seen the Bible, never heard of Jesus, they still know in their own heart that they're a sinner. Their own own conscience convicts them before God of their sin, for one thing. But actually, Paul goes much deeper than that here. Paul is teaching us that Adam is the representative head of the sinful human race. 
Sometimes you might hear the term federal head, and that's what it means. He, he stands as our representative. We are in him. He is us. He is mankind. If it had been any of us instead of him in the garden, we'd still be in the same mess. But it was Adam, and we're in him. And this principle of one man standing as the representation, as a representative of us all, the important thing is, you see, Paul is going to show us that it's exactly using the same principle that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to save you. It's exactly the application of this same principle that, that God uses in bringing all of us to justification. You, you might argue, well, but I wasn't there with Adam when all of that happened, so how can any of this be fair? And yet, the gospel says, but you didn't do anything to secure your own salvation. Yet God gives it to you as a gift on the basis of what one man has done. And so we might, we might fight against this truth concerning Adam and us. But then God places alongside it this glorious truth about Christ. Are you suddenly going to, uh, on the basis of not liking what God is saying about us in Adam, are you suddenly going to reject what God says about us in Christ? Paul is making this point, you see, these two things stand together. Through the one, we've fallen into sin and we're in this dreadful state before God. But through the other, there is hope and there is good news and there is salvation and there is grace. Paul will explain that at the end of verse 14. Adam is a type of him who was to come. Christ. You see, if you reject this principle about our sin and guilt in Adam, then all the truths about our being saved and justified in Christ are suddenly questionable. These two must stand together. There is this close parallel between how we became sinners and how God will save us. And if this is not true about Adam, then how can this be true about Christ that Paul is teaching here? And for this to be true, the story of Adam in the garden, everything else in the opening chapters of Genesis about creation, must also be true. It must be historical fact if Paul's explanation of how the gospel works is true. If the things that we read about Adam are just a fable, as some might have you believe, then why on earth would the Apostle Paul try to compare the things that Jesus really did and the things that Jesus really accomplished 
with just something that's a fable over here. For Jesus to be the true and better Adam, as we sang earlier, by means of his death on the cross in the place of sinners as their representative head in order to put right what Adam ruined, then Adam really must have done what Adam did. Or the whole thing just falls apart. And for this gospel truth to be true, evolution can't be true either. Or the whole thing falls apart. We are told here that death entered the world because of sin. Adam's sin. There was no death before that event took place. Evolution requires millions of years of death, even before anyone who looked anything like Adam could even exist. The Bible says no. Death came through sin, and it was Adam who sinned. And according to Paul, the whole gospel stands or falls on that being true. Or a lie. Or a made-up story. Evolution cannot possibly pinpoint one man who was our representative who sinned and whose sin brought in death, simply doesn't work. If evolution is true, then Adam is not who the Bible says he is. And Christ, therefore, cannot be who the Bible says he is. Adam's sin is our sin, imputed to us. Adam is you and me. Adam is sinful men and women. And that's, says Paul, that is how and why you are as you are in your sinfulness before God. And then secondly, Paul says, standing alongside that truth is this glorious truth about Christ. And Christ's righteousness is our salvation. So in Adam, we're all in our sin and our death and judgment and condemnation. But in Christ, there is salvation. Paul says it's by this same principle of one being the representative of the other, that Christ has saved and reconciled sinners. And because of the wonder, the benefits and privileges that Christians received through Christ, it is something far greater than the thing that Adam did. Compared to what happened to us all in Adam, that which we have in Christ is so much better. In the same way that Paul is teaching that Adam's sin was our sin, so the gospel tells us that Christ's death was our death. 
you were crucified with him. Not only did he die for you, you died with him at Calvary. You were crucified with him. And Christ's righteous life is accounted by God as your righteous life. Christ in you, the hope of glory. For you to live is Christ. You abiding in him and him abiding in you. Christ's resurrection is your resurrection and your certain hope of life everlasting. It is this being in union with Christ, in who he is, in all that he has done, which makes you a Christian. In Adam, we are all born dead, verse 15, but in Christ comes the grace of God and the gift of salvation. In Adam, we were all brought under condemnation, verses 16 and 17. But what we receive in Christ is far greater. Not only is the sentence reversed, as that condemnation is cancelled out at the cross, and we are made right with God, but newness of life and an eternal inheritance awaits us. That which came upon us in Adam you cannot even begin to compare to that which you now have in Christ Jesus. And surely, although Paul doesn't state it here, he has in mind that Adam was a man just like us. When he sinned, Adam didn't think he was putting himself through any hardship at all. In the act of eating that fruit, he was thinking only of himself and what this fruit might do for him. But Jesus, when he came into the world, knowing that he was to be the true and better Adam, that he was to be our federal head for salvation, he knew he would have to suffer so many things and die in agony. Adam ate a piece of fruit. How does that compare with what Christ did for you? How does that compare with what Christ endured for sinners? How does that compare to that forgiveness that is offered now in the gospel of Christ? Here is the eternal Lord of glory beaten and abused and mocked and ridiculed in the place of sinners. Adam just ate a piece of fruit. Here is the Lord of glory suffering the ultimate humiliation and the shameful tortuous death of crucifixion in order that he might stand in your place. Adam just ate a piece of fruit. That's why Paul, when he starts to compare the two, he says there's no contrast really. Although there are these parallel truths between the two and these principles that are the same, You can't even begin to compare what you have in Christ compared to what you were in Adam. These things in Christ are far more glorious, far more wonderful. Think of what it was that Jesus did to be that for you. What love, what grace, what mercy, what a result the gospel is after all that Jesus has done. Yes, says Paul, you need to see and understand 
what Adam did for you. But look at what Christ has done for you. Yes, you need to see where Adam led you. But look at where Christ is leading you. No wonder Paul could only speak of Christ wherever he went. Name of all majesty, fathomless mystery, king of the ages by angels adored, power and authority, splendor and dignity, bow to his mastery, Jesus is Lord. Child of our destiny, God from eternity, love of the Father, on sinners outpoured, see now what God has done, sending his only Son, Christ the Beloved One, Jesus is Lord, Saviour of Calvary, costliest victory, darkness defeated, Eden restored, born as a man to die, nailed to a cross on high, cold in the grave to lie. Jesus is Lord. And surely it's with themes like these swirling around his head, flowing through his heart, that Paul, as he talks about these truths, says, I, I want you to see this relationship between Adam and Christ, but then to realise actually there's no comparison to what Jesus has done for you. How can you not come to the conclusion that Christ is far superior and what we have in him is beyond words? And so as Paul brings these thoughts to a conclusion, he summarises a few of the really important points that he's been making through the righteous act of the Lord Jesus Christ, sinners are justified, verse 18. Overcoming the judgment that's come upon us because of Adam's offence. Through Christ's obedience in going to the cross, those who were made sinners by Adam's disobedience, that's what the text says, you may be made righteous now in Christ. He died once for all and by his blood were forgiven and were made clean. With the coming of God's law, that only confirmed even more how sinful we are. In some, it produces a wicked backlash. It actually plunges them into further wickedness as they resist the truth of God. Verse 20. But God's grace can conquer all, verse 21. That which we have in Christ has defeated the power of sin and death. Paul says grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin has ruined everything about the human race. All men and women are born under its sway because of Adam under its management because of Adam and we are helpless and hopeless to do one single thing about it. But one man has done one single thing. The only thing that was needful. 
He has done the one single thing that was needed to completely overturn our lost and helpless condition. Obedience in righteousness in the Lord Jesus Christ. So every man and woman, boy and girl, born in Adam, in sin, guilty, condemned because of him. Christians, saved, redeemed, reconciled, restored. The vocabulary goes on and on. In Christ. Question. To whom do you belong right now? Are you still in Adam, or are you in Christ? There's no other option. There's no other place. There are no other conditions possible for any man or woman, boy or girl. You're either still in Adam, in all your guilt and sin, or you are forgiven and set free in Christ which is it for you it's this all through the Bible I've said it loads of times I'll be saying it loads of times more the Bible doesn't give us any wriggle room at all you're either here or you're here and you must decide verse 18 as as through one man's offence, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. That's really kind of the summary verse of that whole section. There's a, a summary of the gospel right there in verse 18. One man's offence, Adam in his sin. Judgment come to all, and that judgment brings the condemnation of God. All in Adam, lost, guilty sinners before a holy God and God's judgment awaits you. And on the other side, one man's righteous act, the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ as God's righteous substitute to atone for sins, to pay sin's penalty on behalf of those who are in Adam. Salvation offered as a free gift which will make you right with God forever. Adam or Christ? All of us are born of Adam with him as our federal head. But will you turn to Christ that you may be found in him and receive all the blessings and privileges of being brought under his lordship and salvation. What to do? Well, the gospel is very clear. The gospel is very simple. Repent of your sin and turn and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. And when you do, God will bring about an immediate change. You'll be delivered from this power of darkness 
and you'll be conveyed into the kingdom of the Son of His love. You'll be brought out of this darkness and into His marvellous, marvellous light. This is the gospel, says Paul. All are born of Adam. But have you been born again of the Lord Jesus Christ?